Hey, this is John Legadakis, and I want to thank you for joining me on this podcast. This podcast is a live recording of a conference call that I do each week with other internet marketers where we talk about how we can market our products and services better, get more traffic, and make more sales. I hope you get a lot out of today's recording. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here with us today. Today, I have a very special guest. I have with us Jim Beach. Welcome, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, John. Now, Jim Beach's accomplishments are so numerous, it would take me a good five <laughs> five minutes You're to already read. lying to them, John. Don't lie to your listeners. <laughs> no, it's true. It is true. He's, he's a humble man. So, like, I'll, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. So... Jim Beach uh, is a highly sought-after business expert. As a newly distinguished university graduate, Jim worked with the Japanese government during, during which time, at the age of 25, he founded his first business, American Computer Experience, which he grew to $12 million in annual revenue within seven years with no capital infusion. He has appeared in many major publications and TV shows such as CNN MNNBC, The New York Times, and Entrepreneur Magazine, to name a few. Uh, Jim is also a long-time serving university professor and hosts his own radio show, School for Startups. So again, thanks so much for joining us, Jim. Now, Jim, if we can start off, just tell us a bit about your background, where you're from, and, and what it was like for you growing up. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and... Grew up the perfect childhood, except that I hated myself, and wonderful parents who gave me everything, and thought I was going to be the CEO of Coca-Cola one day, and worked for Coca-Cola in Japan, and saved them a billion dollars over a five-year period, and they still fired me, John, and at 23, I was out of work, devastated, my lifelong dream gone, and so I had no choice but to become an entrepreneur. It was the only thing left. Okay, so that's interesting. So what what, <laughs> what happened at uh, twenty three? So you uh, you just felt so so you had this experience where things didn't go smoothly, and you didn't want to go back into another corporate job. Is that what happened? Well, Coca Cola literally showed me the door. I, you know, had two guards come and escort me out of the building. Wow, and. and after that, I was a Japan expert, and so I kept getting job offers to go back to Japan. That's the last thing I wanted to do. I was tired of living there. I wanted to stay in the States and couldn't find a job. This was 1990, 91, that period. The American economy was really bad at that time. Mm-hmm. and couldn't find a job in the United States that was anywhere close to what I wanted to do. So I became a construction worker because I couldn't find anything else. And I realized pretty quickly that it was easier for me to go and create my own job. It was easier for me to become an entrepreneur than to find a high-paying, cool job like I wanted. And so that's exactly what I did. I spent a year or two trying to grope and figure out what to do. And Mm -hmm. at 25, I started my first business. Yeah, and that was the American Computer Experience. Now, look, leading up to starting that up, so while you're working in construction and 
was there anything you read or any research you did that helped you to make that decision to start that that business? No, I'm afraid not. I, I don't have a good answer to that. I I wasn't motivated by anything other than just distress and sadness that my life wasn't going better. I was disappointed mm. in myself. I was sort of mad at the world. And I did get offered uh, the opportunity to buy a franchise in an existing business. And they wanted so much money that I figured I could start my own business doing the exact mm. same thing for about one-tenth of what they were asking for. In fact, I started that business for $2,000, and that's the one that grew to $12, $13 million a year in annual revenue. Mm. And I started that business with $2,000. But wow. the only thing that motivated me was the stress of being unemployed and not having anything to, to show for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And what what was American Computer Experience? What 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 did that business do? What uh, service or product did it offer? It was actually a very very cool thing. We ran we started off as a summer camp company. So we ran summer camps in the non-athletic space. So we did computer camps, uh mm -hmm movie-making camps, anything that did not involve sports athletics. And we did them at the best universities in the United States, places, places like Stanford, MIT, Georgetown, UCLA. We also had them locations uh, outside of the United States in Canada and the UK, also at premier places like Cambridge and places like that, Oxford. And the program grew very quickly. We eventually grew to 89 locations and we did anything that we could to educate children in a non-traditional way that included one of the first online learning centers and probably the first online learning center directed you know, solely toward children. And we mm -hmm. had a fantastic time. It was a great business because we were taking kids that were not inherently happy sort of like I was as a teenager, and showing them that the coolest thing in the world they could be was smart. The coolest thing in the world is someone who knows how to fix things and to write a computer program that works. And we taught them that they were going to grow up and be what was called the boss. And so it was uh -huh. a very motivational program, very exciting for the kids, and a wonderful business to be involved with. Yeah. Now, Jim, one, one of the things that you teach in your school for for startups is that the biggest battle of starting a new business is actually well if you if you find something that someone is struggling with or having problems with if you can identify what that is that's a great basis for starting a business uh, especially if there's hard, hardly any or no competition so is that what is that how you came up with that business idea did you know did you see there was a need for what you were doing well, no, I wish I could say that. That's the business that someone told me I should buy a franchise of. And mm. they were running a two-location program, and that was a 20-year-old business. And within five years, we were at uh, almost 90 locations. So we surpassed mm -hmm. them in under two years of operation. And we just the, you know, the major lesson here is that 
execution matters and we did it better than them. So they were mm -hmm. located at places that no one in the world has ever heard of. We're located at one of the world's most famous universities like Stanford or MIT where everyone in the world has heard of those places. And so we just did it better than them. And that's where a lot of my philosophy came from. I don't really get excited about creativity. Creativity is awesome, but it's not something that you should wait on when you are trying to become an entrepreneur. If you don't have an idea, you should get online and type in free business ideas and find something to copy. There's absolutely nothing wrong with copy, borrow, or steal an idea. That's quite okay. You know, there's a lot of people that make hamburgers in the world. There's lots of people that's that run hotels around the world. And just because I want to start a new hamburger joint or a new hotel does not diminish the fact that I am an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So don't wait on this creativity lightning bolt from God. Simply go out there, find a problem, and figure out a way to solve it. 93%, John, this is really important, 93% of the new businesses started around the world are copies of existing businesses. And that data comes from the London School of Economics. So if 93% of the world's entrepreneurs are in fact copying ideas, you should too. You know, there's no reason for you as an entrepreneur or a want to be an entrepreneur to wait for creativity to strike you. Go find an idea now that you like and that you can execute and get started today. Yeah, and and so I know that's a big part of what you do, Jim, is that you are trying to redefine the way we th think of an entrepreneur. Like if you put someone on a spot and ask them what's an entrepreneur, or some of the characteristics of an entrepreneur, they'll say that they they might be creative, or that they take risks, or they're they're passionate people. And and so you're coming along and saying, hey, look, really, you don't have to have those qualities to be a successful entrepreneur. I'll go a step further. Those qualities are, I think, inherently bad. Risk is a horrible thing. People that take risks, John, we call those bungee jumpers or suicidal <laughs> or Formula right. One race car drivers. Entrepreneurs, people that do this again and again and again, are the people that reduce risk as much as possible so that there's absolutely no chance that they can fail. If I start a business with $2,000 and I only have to sell one product to become cash flow positive, that's a risk that I'm, I think anyone would be willing to take. Yeah. If I already have 25 customers signed up, that's a risk that people are willing to take. So I think that successful serial entrepreneurs are the people that go out and methodically reduce risk so that when they start a business that it is a sure thing, a 100% bet. And so I'm trying to change not only people's view of creativity, creativity is awesome for artists, but not required for entrepreneurs. Risk-taking is wonderful if you're a skydiver, but it's, <laughs> I think, a bad thing for entrepreneurs. Why take a risk when I can go and do it the right way and find 25 customers who are going to pay me in advance so that I don't have to spend any money. I don't have to double mortgage my house. I don't have to sell my child's kidney. You know, those all right. are all better solutions. Mm. Well, how about what about passion? 
Well, you know, I do like passion. I will agree with you that if you are passionate about your business, you are incredibly lucky and more likely to succeed. However, most people are not passionate about what they do. You know, they barely mm -hmm. like their job or they put up with what they do. I have done lots of things in my life that I am not passionate about. I have sold women's accessories, purses, belts, women's jackets. And I promise you, I'm not at all passionate about that business, mm -hmm. but it was still a successful business that I ran. Mm -hmm. I would argue that it's more important to be passionate about your lifestyle. I have the best lifestyle of anyone that I know. I have more freedom than anyone I know. I wear blue jeans or t-shirts or cut off shorts and flip-flops and I don't have to dress up. I don't have a commute in the morning. People get in the car and drive for an hour. I go downstairs to my office and start working seven minutes after I've brushed my teeth. My lifestyle is better and I'm passionate about that. I would rather have a better lifestyle than a bad lifestyle. And so that's enough to be passionate about. Maybe the process the freedom of being an entrepreneur is more important than what you're selling. Maybe you can be passionate about the way you get to live and not necessarily about the product. You know, I am really passionate about woodworking. I love woodworking, John, mm -hmm. but unfortunately I'm a really bad woodworker. I built a <laughs> chair, sat on the chair, collapsed and bruised my butt. And so what I've learned is I'm willing to work 45 weeks a year really hard so that I can go to woodworking school the other three or four weeks of the year and take some vacation time too. I'm willing to do something that I like, not necessarily something that I love because it leads to a more happy lifestyle. I love the freedom that comes with, with all of that. And let me say one more thing. Maybe as you are pursuing what you're passionate about. Maybe that's the third business that you start. And you wouldn't have discovered that business until you started the first. So this is a principle. It's called the corridor principle. And imagine you're standing at the entrance to a long hallway. And we'll call that hallway the path of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Now, you cannot see what's in the rooms to the right or the left. The only way you can see into those rooms, we'll, we'll call those rooms opportunities, is to start walking down the path. Yeah. You go and become an entrepreneur, and you do something, and you maybe you like it, you don't love it, but you know what? By walking down that path, you are exposed to new things, new opportunities that you would never have seen before, and then you discover something that you're passionate about that you can do entrepreneurially. That happens a lot more than people think. And so to sort of wrap it up, John, I want people to get off of the sofa and quit using the three excuses that they offer for not being an entrepreneur. When God strikes me with a lightning bolt of creativity, I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. <laughs> when my boys get out of college and I don't have those college payments, I'm going to take that big risk. When I discover what I'm passionate about, oh boy, I'm going to pursue it like crazy. And then they end up 70 years old, never having been an entrepreneur. And so I think that that's really sad. And what I'm trying to do is eliminate these myths 
of entrepreneurship, these excuses that people have, and say, in fact, you should be an entrepreneur today. In fact, you should go now, copy someone else's idea, reduce the risk as much as possible, don't spend more than $5,000 on uh, your startup idea, figure out how to get your customers to pay for it in advance, bootstrap the daylights out of it, and discover that your passion may be down the road, or you may just love being an entrepreneur so much you don't care what you're selling. Thanks for those insights. They're fantastic. And so, uh, and I was, I loved that experiment you did with your MBA class. Do you want to share, tell, tell our audience a, a bit about that, how that came about? Sure. After I sold my business, I had nothing to do. I was 31 years old. And so I was offered a chance to be a MBA professor at one of our downtown universities. And I started teaching. And I was like, you know, this entrepreneurship stuff is pretty easy. And my MBA student said, no, Jim, it's pretty hard. And I said, no, it's really easy. And they said, no, it's really hard. And I said, no, it's really easy. And they said, we'll bet you. And I said, I will make you a bet. I can start a business this semester, repay all of my startup capital this semester. I will become cash flow positive and make a profit this semester. And the class, you class, you get to choose the country and the industry that I will start the business in. Well, this was right after 9-11, and they thought they were being funny. And so they said, great, we'll take that bet. You have to start a Pakistani furniture company. <laughs> so, John, I had four months to build a profitable Pakistani furniture company. Wow. And I won the bet by using my rules. I was not creative. I copied an idea that I had seen in a flea market three or four years before. Mm-hmm. My total investment to get the business started was three or $4,000, and the chairs, each chair sold for $3,000. All I had to do to win the bet was sell one chair, John. Yeah. yeah. And I wasn't passionate about it, but you know what? Mm-hmm. In the end, it made a lot of money, and I sold lots of Pakistani furniture uh, and was a very cool, very successful business by using the rules that I've just been talking about. And it was a great product. What we did is we took 100-year-old Persian rugs, Oriental rugs, that we bought in flea markets in Karachi, Mm -hmm. cut those up and made that as the fabric on a traditional American-looking chair, a George Washington-type chair. And so it was now a new chair with incredibly well-built insides using a lush, gorgeous, 100-year-old antique fabric. And each one was therefore a unique work of art. There was no other chair like it in the world. And it sold to the Ritz-Carlton. It sold to millionaires. The CEO of Coca-Cola bought one. And it's now his favorite chair. And each one, it cost me $460 to get one chair shipped all the way to the United States. And I sold them for $3,000 each. Nice. Now, I'm curious, uh, you know, as a marketer myself, how... Did you get make the sale? Like, how did you get in front of your audience? What type of uh, marketing strategy did you use for that biz- particular business? Well, it was very simple. I bought a list of five thousand interior decorators. I made a four by six mailing card, and on the front of the card, I put a picture of a beautiful chair, and on the back, it was addressed to the. 5,000 interior decorators Mm -hmm. and it said these chairs are available for a short time only each one is a unique work of art 
if you want to buy one, go to this website. And on the website, we our initial order was 18 chairs. There was wow. a picture of all of the chairs there, and we sold 14 of the chairs before the first chair arrived in America. Oh, that's fantastic. That That is fantastic. Yep, yep. So you know what I did was I created a unique pitch. Here is something you've never seen before. There's mm. a very limited number of them. Each one is a unique work of art. It has got a 100-year-old piece of fabric on it. Mm. You know, you've never seen anything else like this. And the interior decorators agreed. And it was yeah. actually very, very simple. Fantastic. Yeah, that that's great. And thanks for sharing that, Jim. And another thing that you talk about as you're teaching entrepreneurs is about multiple streams of income. And so tell us, how do you apply that into your own life, Jim? Well... There's some good examples of that. I make money from selling books. I make money from being a public speaker. My wife has a job. My wife also owns a business that she started. And I love the business that she started. It was zero risk, zero creativity. And she is in no way passionate about it. But in the first year, she spent $500 to start the business and it made $68,000 in the first year with zero risk, zero creativity, and she has a full-time job. So we have many different ways of making money. You know, for my favorite example is, would you rather be a vice president of one of the largest companies in your country, or would you rather own a landscaping business with a hundred customers? Well, what are the chances that your vice presidency job, you might get fired or outsourced or downsized? Your chances are pretty good. I think maybe one out of four vice presidents gets fired in a year. But if you lost 10% of your customers at your landscaping business, you still have 90 customers to pay the bills with, right? Mm-hmm. I think that having one job is riskier than having three or four small businesses that all add up to one nice income. And so I believe very strongly in multiple income streams. We also have a rental property. You know, we a house that my wife used to live in, instead of selling it, we decided to buy a smaller house for our family, but to keep the rental property. And now mm-hmm. the people who rent that property are slowly paying off the mortgage for us. If we get three or four more of those, we can retire just on the rental property alone. So that's a fifth income stream that we have. You know, mm-hmm. when you add it all up, it gives our family more security, more flexibility, and we don't have to do everything, you know, all the time. We can do a little of this and a little of that, and it makes life more interesting and more fun. So I believe very strongly that the way to reduce risk as an entrepreneur is to get one business up and running, get it to the point where it's cash flow positive, and you could either, you know, pursue that business full time, or maybe you could spend... 20% of your time on another idea that you discover as you walk down that corridor of possibilities. And maybe you can get two or three small businesses up and running. You know, I just like the the flexibility of that and the safety of that. It's just like Coca-Cola. When Coca-Cola has a bad year in Africa, they hope that they have a good year in Asia. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. they're doing the exact same things. It's like that old expression, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. And when, when is the best time to start a business, Jim? I mean, 
should we should people wait for the economy to pick up again before they start their business? No, it's the exact opposite. When the economy is bad is the best mm -hmm. time to start a business because if you can be successful in a bad economy, imagine how successful you will be in a good economy. Uh, on the other hand, if you're successful in a good economy, you go into a bad economy and you're going to be in big trouble. The best time to start a business, John, is yesterday. And that's yeah. what I was talking about with these three myths. I want to totally eliminate all of your excuses and all of the reasons why you're not getting off the sofa today. I want to show you that you should get off the sofa now and go start a business even if you have a job. My wife has a full-time job. We have four children. We have a one-year-old baby. We have two dogs that have to get walked every day, and she still has enough time to run a business on the side, and I'm a pretty demanding husband, John. <laughs> we had enough time to create a new baby, if you know what I mean. You know, <laughs> So the idea, this excuse, no matter what your excuse is, I can, <laughs> I can come back at you and show you why that's a bad excuse. Uh, you need to start a business now. You need to get off the sofa now. And in the next two months, figure out what you're going to do, how you're going to pay for it, and get started. Yeah. And, and in getting started, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned franchise before. They cost a lot of money, franchises. And so that's why you just start, decided to start your own business. And if someone wants to start their own business themselves, how much capital are we talking about? I mean, you, you mentioned, you gave some figures already. Your wife started a business for $500, made 68000 the first year. You started your business, the one, the bet that you made for three to 4000 the other, the, the American Computer Experience uh, business for around 2000 I think you said. So yep. how, how much are we, how much are people looking at if they need to want to start their own business? How much money are they going to need? 430 of the Fortune 500 companies, the largest companies in the United States, were started with under $5,000 of contemporaneous money. I think $5,000 is the limit. You shouldn't plan on spending more than five. And if you're spending 10, then you need to reanalyze what business you're starting. You know, if, if I've started 10 businesses and in my 11th business, I want to start a cell phone company and that's going to cost $5 million to build cell phone towers. That's different because it's my 11th business. Mm -hmm. But for your first mm -hmm. business, your second business, your third business, don't, don't spend and don't risk more than $5,000. And then don't tell me that you need more money than that and come to me and say, oh, but I want to start a restaurant, John, and a restaurant starts to cost a million dollars. My brother-in-law... Joey Tatum, his dream in life was to be a restaurant and bar owner. And he mm -hmm. only had less than $5,000. He took an old barber shop with a linoleum floor and cinder block walls and turned it into a bar. The first week of operation, he barely had enough money to buy three cases of beer. He didn't have enough money to buy a keg. He only had enough money to buy cases of beer. Right. But you know what? He stayed in business for the first weekend and made enough money to start business the second weekend. Well, that bar is now 20 years old. It's famous. He sells $100,000 of T-shirts a year, not to mention liquor. And he owns five or six other bars and restaurants in town now. And, by the way, he owns the building that the bar is in. Mm. Don't tell me that I'm in the one industry that takes a lot of money to get started. Well, then get into a different industry. 
don't tell me that you have found the exception to the rule. Well, then go back and look at the rules differently. You know, these are all excuses. No, no, no. I want to start a million dollar restaurant. How many beers do you have to sell, John, to recoup your million dollar investment? Versus yeah. how many beers did my friend Joey Tatum have to sell to recoup his $5,000 investment? Fantastic advice. Look, I really appreciate, Jim, you sharing this stuff. I, I think it's very, very important what you're sharing with us because I also know people that have, have lost a lot of money with business startups because maybe they haven't understood these principles that you've been discussing today. And because a lot of people have this thought that to make money, you need to you need to have have money to make money. I think it's very important what we're talking about here today. And I really appreciate you sharing these things. And for anyone that wants to work with Jim or learn more from Jim about starting up a business, there's a couple of sites uh, I can recommend to you. One is jimbeach.com. So that's J-I-M-B-E-A-C-H.com and schoolforstartupsradio.com. Now, before we end today's interview, Jim, and again, I really appreciate you being here with us today and sharing these insights. Is there any final thoughts you had for us? I don't know. I think I've gotten everything off my chest that I wanted to, John. I appreciate very much you letting me get on my soapbox tonight and go on my rant. The one thought that I would say to sort of summarize is, is that anyone can do this. You know, you say that entrepreneurs are creative people who take risks doing things they're passionate about. No, I don't believe that. I think entrepreneurs are people that work their butts off. The one thing we haven't mentioned today is that I and my wife, we work really, really, really hard. We work 80, 90 hours a week. We work Saturdays. We work Sundays. We work as a family. We get we have a business that requires a lot of stuffing and labeling of boxes. We get down on the floor and everyone, including the two-year-old, helps stuff boxes. And so I believe that anyone can be a successful entrepreneur if they're just willing to work hard enough. Great. That's fantastic. Again, thank you so much, Jim, for being uh, with us today and, and sharing these things. And I also want to thank everyone that's listening for uh, being here also. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you got a lot out of it. As a way of saying thank you for being a loyal listener, I've got a very special gift for you. An exclusive report where I reveal all the tools and services I use every day in my online businesses, including the sites I use to get targeted traffic at literally pennies per click. It's ready for you to download right now. To get free immediate access to my online business resource report, head on over to johnslikes.com forward slash podcast. This is John Lagadaka signing off. I'll see you all next time.